It's a privilege to play our part in all that God is doing in and through you. To find out what your next step could be or to partner with us to reach more and more people by giving financially, head to our website elevatechurch.me and download our Elevate Church AU app, available wherever you download your apps. Special shout out to our podcast, people, wherever you're listening around the world, great to have you joining us. Now, let me start with a question. Here's the question. It's kind of rhetorical, but here's my question. Are you aware that you are in possession of something that has the ability to determine the course of your life? An object. Every single one of you is in possession of an object that has the power, has the ability to determine the direction of your life. And this isn't my words. This isn't my idea. In fact, it's the idea of a guy named James. And he's uh, famous, I guess, for a lot of things, including being the little brother, half-brother of Jesus. And he wrote a letter uh, not long after uh, Jesus had, had died and risen and, and, and gone back to heaven. James wrote a letter to the, 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 the Jewish uh, Jesus followers in the known world. And that letter's been captured, and we've been kind of drilling into that letter over these last three weeks. And so let's kind of just get straight into it. Take a deep dive. If you've got our Elevate app, you can uh, tap that. We've got James preloaded there, specifically the verses we're going to look at this morning. Uh, but to give you a little bit of context, uh, let me take you to Bible college, okay? So buckle up, put your big brains on. Um, in the old part of the Bible, a collection of books, 66, if my time at Bible college was worth anything. Uh, one of them is called Proverbs. And Proverbs was written by a guy named Solomon, who was considered the wisest person to have ever lived, went on to become the king of Israel. And he wrote down these Proverbs. And we've captured them now in, well, not we personally, they've been captured in uh, 31 chapters. And, and what you see when you read through Solomon and these Proverbs is they're just kind of this succession of, of unconnected truth bombs. Like if you read like chapter one, it's not like there's one big theme in chapter one. It's like, if you want to live wisely following God, do this, don't do this, do more of this, do less of this, speak like this, hang out with these people, avoid these people. And it just goes on and on and on. Well, James is kind of similar. And in fact, again, stay with me at Bible college. His letter is often referred to as the Proverbs of the new part of the Bible, okay? Because when you read through James' letter, it's not like one theme. It's like he starts, he goes, G'day, I'm James. And then he goes, boom, drops a truth bomb about tests and how we should consider them a sheer gift. Boom, shifts gears, moves on to temptations about how we shouldn't take the bait, although if we do, God can let us off the hook. Boom, and he just keeps kind of riffing on these truth bombs. Talks about... Uh, how we should treat uh, people who, who maybe aren't as well off as other people and, and God sees them equally and we shouldn't kind of give privilege to people with more money and give them the best seats and shove the poor people out the door. He, and he goes on, he talks about, uh, oh, here, here's a hot potato if you really want to go to Bible college. He talks about faith and works and the position of faith and works and people have been arm wrestling over that for, for, for centuries. I don't know why, it's very simple. Here's how it goes, if you really must know. The idea is that our faith d demonstrates to God that we believe who He says He is, and our works demonstrates to the people around us that we believe who God says He is. You're welcome. All right. And he took, but and there's another thing. Thank you, Andrew, because Andrew's been wrestling with that for decades. I'm like, man, come on, Andrew. It's never been that complicated. Um, <laughs> 
One of the themes that James does spend a little more time on in these truth bombs than others, and in fact says more about than any other author of the various letters of the new part of the Bible, is our words and how we use our words, what our words can do, and as Jesus followers, how we honor God or not with our words. So, you know, as much as I said there wasn't any kind of big theme with James, there's a few, but this is one of the majors that he uh, spends some time on. So let us drop you in there, chapter 3 and verse 2. This is James writing, We all make many mistakes. You know, like, really? They had to include that in the Bible? That's like, uh, duh. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. My rhetorical question was, was asking you, are you aware that you are in possession of a small object that has the power to determine the direction of your life? Well, here's the deal. This is it. Your tongue has the power to control the direction of your life. But here's the big idea. We're all in possession of this thing, the tongue, but we're not necessarily all in control of it. And if we're not in control of it, it's in control of us. It's in control of our direction. It's in control about other people around us. And a big idea, and I say this very, very often, words create worlds. The words you choose to say and not say create the worlds you end up living in. They create the type of friends you attract. They create the type of kids you raise. They create the type of marriage you build. Words create worlds. And uh, this is very much a companion message to a message I preached four weeks ago called No One Left Behind. Big idea around encouragement and, and the ability of using encouragement to create the world around us. If you missed that, you can go back and listen to it. But this is James' big idea. Change your words, change your world. Okay, so he then starts, as any good writer does, to drop some metaphors. Like if that little bit then, you didn't like, huh, what? Tongue, huh? Metaphors. Ah, all right, now you got my attention. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. Oh, oh. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn whenever the pilot chooses to go even though the winds are strong. Horses and ships. Any of you ever been horse riding? Okay, me, yeah, I, I went horse riding once in, in my early 20s in Wanneroo before everyone moved up there. And uh, I remember getting on the horse and, and for the first few minutes, it was exhilarating. Now, just to set the scene, I'm exhilarated, but actually what was happening there was someone was leading the horse with a thing, and, and, and we were going about this pace, meaning it would have been quicker if I dismounted and started walking. But I'm on top of this horse, and I'm exhilarated. But here's why I'm exhilarated. I weigh 75 kilograms. That horse weighs 1,000 kilograms. That horse, as far as the maths go, had, the, had my life in its hooves. Right At any point, that horse could have destroyed me. 
And I'm up there, I'm, I'm up, I'm, I am vividly aware of this fact. Now, I'm still here today because that horse didn't destroy me. But you know why that horse didn't destroy me? Because in its mouth was this little bit of metal that probably weighed about two kilograms. It's called a bit. And the horse bites down on that, and the reins are ultimately attached to that. And if you want the horse to go left, you pull on the reins. It's not the reins that controls the direction of the horse. It's this little piece that's in their mouth that pulls them to the left. And to the right, a two-kilogram piece of metal controlling a 1,000-kilogram horse. That's the metaphor. Then James, he pulls out another metaphor, a huge ship. The small rudder makes it turn wherever the pilot, captain, chooses to go. Now, I haven't been on a cruise ship. If my life turns out the way I hope it will turn out, I will never go on a cruise ship. I refer to, refer to cruise ships as floating prisons. Uh, people say, oh, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. You know, you can, you can get on and off whenever you want. No, you cannot get on and off whenever you want. You get on and off whenever the pilot or the captain wants. And here's the thing. I like options. Oh, there's plenty of options. You can go to the movies. You can go and have a dance. You can go to breakfast. No, one of those options needs to be, I can get off. Anyway. <sighs> this message is not sponsored by P&O Cruises. <laughs> but here's what I know about cruise ships. I have seen them, okay? They're big pieces of metal. If you've ever been to school, you would know metal doesn't float. So by the way, there's another reason not to go on one. There's some sorcery witchcraft going on that's like, how is this possible? But this massive cruise ship, right, you would think its direction to change would require something equally massive, heavy, impressive, powerful. And yet, it's a small rudder at the back. And here's these metaphors that James is saying, people, understand, your tongue, the words you speak, are so powerful that they can shape the direction of your life. But here's the question, are they shaping them? shaping your direction in the direction that God's calling you to or not. And we have the power to choose. Change your direction. Sorry, change your declaration. Change your direction. Now, I found out a fun fact preparing this message today. Here's the fun fact. The average person per year... If you were to write down all of the words that they've spoken, the average person, in one year, those words would make up approximately 66 800-page books. Write down every word you spoke, 66 800-page books. Now, I'm an introvert. I'm probably not going to do 66. I'm going to probably have about three. Uh, Louis is female. Italian and a teacher. So she takes my 63 and adds them to her 66. But here's the point. Here's the point. We speak a bunch of words every year. And if they were collected and put in one single volume and it, or, or one single collection, and that, uh, and that collection, the transcription of what you've spoken about, every single word, 
was published, what would we learn about you? Even if we've never met you, but all we did was read the transcript of all the words you spoke that year, we would learn a lot about you. And in fact, not only would we learn a lot about you, we could start to learn where you're going. A tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness. All right. Corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it's set on fire by hell itself. Now, here, Ozzy, we're on the West Coast, but we've been reading the news that the East Coast, Sydney, New South Wales area is being devastated by bushfires. And that's not a new thing. It's not the first time it's happened. In fact, in September, uh, there was some forest fires in regional Queensland, destroyed 11 homes. Recently, it was published that, that or this week, that, 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 that fire was started by one person dropping a cigarette butt on the forest floor, and it destroyed 11 homes. A tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. So what's the first thing you think of when James uses this metaphor about a fire? What's the first thing? Now, for me, it's gossip. Like when I, oh, yeah, I think he's talking about gossip. Now, I think he is. I don't think he's only talking about gossip. I think he's probably writing about pessimism. That, 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 that speaking about what can't happen and what won't happen and what probably will never happen is going gonna, is gonna to determine the direction of your life. It's going to be like a forest fire. It's going to wipe out opportunity and possibility that you might have taken if you weren't so pessimistic. I think cynicism, which is the close cousin of pessimism, that life's all lemons and never lemonade and you're just going to like paint yourself into a corner and suck on your lemon and life's just going to pass you by. I think he's talking about that. I think he's probably talking about lies and deception. And, and James knows that the devil does his best work in dark places. That if you're telling lies and being deceptive, then it's going to absolutely erode your life. It's going to erode relationships. It's going to erode people's trust in you. It's going to erode people giving you opportunities. Because like, no, this person, I don't, I don't believe them half the time. But let me... Let me zero in on gossip this morning. And, you know, I, I do have a motivation and, and as a church leader for speaking and wanting to kind of hit on gossip as my topic of choice this morning. And it's, it's largely because I know church leaders, people that do my job in other places, who lie awake at night being tormented knowing that there's people in their church talking about them and about the church. Uh, I, I know and have, have uh, been uh, privy for the worst possible way to churches being literally torn apart from the inside out by gossip happening in dark places. Um, and here's the worst thing about gossip as it applies to church. It's a repellent... <laughs> for unchurched people. And because it's a repellent for unchurched people, it actually puts a barrier between them and meeting Jesus. And that's on us. If we're considered ourselves as the body of Christ 
And yet what we're best known for is division and gossip. And, and I had a, a, three weeks ago, a couple of local church leaders met with me here on a Monday and they just wanted to come in, which by the way, this is phenomenal. Just come in and pray for an hour for Elevate. They have no skin in the game here. They said, can we come and pray for Elevate? No agenda. You wouldn't even know that that happened unless I'm telling you now. Uh, and I love that. It's fantastic. Just the spirit of them wanting to do that. We finished praying. And one of the guys says to me, uh, just a question. Just uh, how do you deal with gossip in your church? Now, you only ask that question if you're dealing with gossip in your church. Right? Otherwise, it's like you wouldn't ask. And, and, and I'm like, Phew. And I said, well, tell me your, your story. And he just unpacked that the number one <laughs> He's not, at the moment, he doesn't have the bandwidth to dream about possibilities for his church. He doesn't have the bandwidth to dream about what God wants to do and take them further faster and reach more people because his emotional bandwidth is being completely chewed up by people in the church that are gossiping. And I'm like, give me some names and numbers and, and, and we'll take care of that for you, all right? <laughs> But I don't ever want that to be us. Now, before you start looking around thinking, who's he talking about? <laughs> this is not a public gossip session to you either, right? In fact, I'm not aware of any gossip. Now, by the way, I'm also aware that as the church leader, if people are gossiping about Elevate, I'm probably going to be the last to know because you'll be hiding in a corner. And if I walk into the room, you'll, you'll shut the conversation down. Shh, he's coming. But I don't hear it. I don't hear the rumblings of it. But so, so actually, what I want to talk about is not uh, remediation. It's actually inoculation. Let's never become those people or that church. Okay? Yeah. Come on now. <laughs> Having said that, I, now, I'm going to zoom out again. I'm going to talk about gossip as it pertains to everybody and everything, okay? I've got a very, very strong vested interest in how it pertains to the church, but here's the thing. Gossip affects families, okay? Would you want some, here's the thing. Those 66 books, 800-page books, transcribed, published, would you want some of your relatives to read them? Or would you hope someone redacted a few, a few chapters where you had that conversation around that coffee table? Like, I have some people in my extended family that are like that. I say to them, I don't get in, I, I don't get into the conversation with them, but sometimes I'm at the other end of the dinner table. And I say to them, aren't you exhausted? Like you you think you're solving the world's problems and, and you have to have an opinion on everything and you have to share that opinion on everything. Like I'm just listening to you. And by the way, I'm not really, but I'm the other end of the table and you, you people talk loud and I don't talk at all. So I'm listening, but I'm like, I'm exhausted just listening to you. Sure, you, you have this stuff on your head. You spend emotional energy and, and part of your, your time and energy budget during the day thinking about this stuff. It must be exhausting. Like even if that was the only problem, that'd be motivation enough for me to not do it. Like I'm just so tired of thinking about everyone else's problems. Anyway, but it affects families. It affects marriages. Would you want your spouse to read about how you talk about them with your friends when they're not in the room? Well, I hope the answer is yes, absolutely. <laughs> Workplaces can be blown apart. Oh, my boss. Oh, you should beat my boss. Well, 
okay, yeah, no boss is perfect, but how, is, how are you solving the problem that you've obviously identified by going off into a dark corner, talking with people who are neither able nor probably willing to insert themselves into the solution side of that. So gossip is a problem. Now, having said that, there's something incredibly fascinating and incredibly important about what James says. Let's back it up, back it up, back it up. No, no, fast forward. There we go. Itchy trigger finger. When we hear, like, okay, I'm going to say you, I, historically, when I've heard about gossip as the concept, when I've thought about it, when I've, I've, I guess my default typically has gone towards the gossipies, the, the people who are the subjects of the gossip and, and how, it's, how it has the, gossip has the potential to destroy their reputation and, and, and erode people's confidence in them, Right? Is anyone, that would be like your default? You'd be like, yeah, gossip's a problem for people that, you, that are being talked about. James is saying it's exactly the opposite. That the problem with gossip is the, is the damage it does to the gossiper, not the gossipy. See, gossip actually re- reveals more about the gossiper than the gossipy, even if what you're saying is true because of who you're saying it to and where you're saying it and the motivation for why you'd want to hide in a dark corner and talk about somebody who's not even there to be a part of the solution. And it comes out because it's already in there. Stuff that comes out of our mouth was already in our heart. And so gossip reveals more about you than it does about who it is you're gossiping about. But here's the thing. Beyond that, James saying, people who gossip, people who use words that dishonor God, actually set themselves on fire. (laughs) So even if you had no other motivation to not gossip, make it a selfish one (laughs) for your own sake. And you know this is true, that gossip affects the gossiper. You know this because you know people who are characterized by gossip and you've seen their life shrink one conversation at a time. You've seen trust levels, and it might even be your trust levels in them, eroded one quiet, dark, corner gossip conversation at a time. You found yourself, instead of wanting to invest in them, you want to avoid them. It erodes our heart. It poisons our soul and it gives the devil a foot in the door. It can set your whole life on fire for it's set on fire by hell itself. God, okay, wait. Not only does gossip dishonor God, it actually promotes the devil. He's wanting to write the script. He's wanting to map out the plot. You know, the, 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 the next uh, 66 volumes of 800-page books that are the next words that you speak about in your life, he wants to be the author of that. And so does God. So there's a turf war going on. And the thing that determines who's gonna win that turf war isn't the battle between them, God, and the devil. It's, it's this thing, the rudder 
the bit? Is it going to go in the direction of using our words at all times to honor God? Or is it going to go towards things that give the devil a foothold? Because if it does, it's going to set everything on fire. Now, people who gossip say, oh, we're just trying to, we're just trying to, we're just trying to solve the problems. Oh, <laughs> really? So let me see if I've got this straight. You're gathered with people who are either unwilling and or unable to solve the problem, and you're telling me the end game is you're there to solve the problem. How does that even work? But you never get to ask those questions because if you start asking those questions, those people don't have those conversations with you in the room because they realize you don't play well in that sandbox. So here's my two hacks. Everyone wants a hack? Come on, Mark, just give me the hack. I don't have to do the hard work. Just give me the hack. Come on. Just give me the pill. Give me the, give me the thing. All right, I'll do that. Two hacks for gossip. Here's my first one. Just stop. Just stop. Because some of the reason that people gossip is just in the habit. And it's like, just stop. Oh, yeah, but everyone else around me is, is, is gossiping. Yeah, well, you've accumulated those people as a consequence of your habit. But I can tell you, you stop getting involved, they'll stop inviting you. Because you're not fun anymore. And here's the second hack. If you see a gap, if you see a problem, if you see an area for improvement, which by the way, as someone who leads the church, I, love, I, I don't have all the answers. I don't see everything. I don't have all the perspectives. I don't, I've got so many blind spots. It's, it's a miracle I even make it here on a Sunday morning, okay? And I know that. So one of the things that I crave and cherish and try to develop is trustworthy people who over time have built a platform of trust, when they see something that they're not sure if I've seen it or not, will come to me and say, hey, Mark, do you mind if I ask you a question? Sure. Because I don't have defenses up against them because they've proven themselves to be worthy of trust. And here's what they do. They say, hmm, all right, help me understand. And, and, and then they fill in the, the, the question. Here's my hack. Seek understanding. When you see a gap, you can talk about it, <laughs> but choose who. Make it someone that actually is probably going to be able to partner with you to be part of the solving of that gap. Uh, and when you go to them, don't go in like, like John Wayne, like, <laughs> like, I've seen a problem. And you're like, whoa, flipping heck. You just go in, this, and I teach our team this. Three words that, that if you, and you can, you can borrow them, you can use them, you can tell people you came up with this. I, I, I'm fine. I didn't come up with them. It's, it's to go into these conversations that you're choosing to have with people who can be part of the solution 
or can green light you being part of the solution. And, and you say these three words before you've said anything else. Help me understand. And I say, all right, great, love to. Sure. Go to your boss, and your boss has done something, and you think, I just, uh, and you just, hey, do you mind if I, can I just take two, three minutes, just something, I, I, don't, I may be off, I just, but I need some clarity. Sure, yeah, cool, sure. Listen, help me understand. Uh, your spouse, they keep doing that thing. And rather than ring up your girlfriend and boyfriend and rant about them, or rather than get around the break room, rather than call up your mom, go to your spouse and say, listen, honey, uh, I don't want to jump to any conclusions here. Probably need some clarity. I think it'll help us. Uh, Help me understand why you did that, why you said that, why you do that. And You know what? Sometimes their answer is, because I'm an idiot. In fact, I didn't even realize I'd done that or the damage that that had done until you brought to my attention. So thank you. That's a gift. And we can work with that. Help me understand. Gossip hacks. Man. I can't believe I even get paid to say this stuff. How about a music team coming up? James is making this big point. One of his big ideas is that the words we speak have the power to write the narrative, the plot, the direction for our lives. So my encouragement is, and I say this, if you post on social media, I have one policy. It's not policy, just, but, you know, a filter. Speak life. That's it. Is this post going to speak life? Why am I ranting about Virgin Australia who had the flight delayed for two hours to people on Facebook who are not the CEO of Virgin Australia. Yeah, that'll teach them, stupid Virgin Australia. They're going to... No. Write to the CEO of Virgin Australia. What? what uh, speak life. Is this conversation going to speak... Is this sentence... Is it... Speak life. Words create worlds. Oh, but they just sucked me in. Well, then you need to grow up and be a stronger individual and just say no to some of those people who want to suck you in. Because like temptation, the devil uses that like a, like a bait and you get on the hook and then you're like, ah, and it's low altitude living. And God's created every single one of us for much more than being somebody who, who uses the power of the tongue to give the devil a foothold instead of building the kingdom of God. Thanks for joining us for another inspiring message from Elevate Church in Perth, Australia. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app, available wherever you download your apps.